Their jerseys may not hang in the rafters in Staples Center, but they hang in our hearts. You're listening to the Forgotten Lakers podcast. All right. Well, so this is a special episode of the Forgotten Lakers podcast. I'll be talking to Andrew Van Buren, the author of Between Dynasties, the Los Angeles Lakers in the years between Magic and Kobe. It is a great book. I have not, I meant to finish it this week. I was uh, traveling for work to Las Vegas and I left my book at home when I was planning on reading it, finishing it on the on the plane and I stupidly left it here. So I was disappointed when I reached into my bag and it was not there on the plane the other day. <laughs> uh, but how well, are you doing I, today, I Andrew? enjoy what you've read. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. Actually, I was going to tell you this. I um, I have an accompanying Instagram for Forgotten Lakers where I post, mm-hmm. uh, you know, clips of podcasts, photos of old guys, some of their highlights. And I posted that uh, about this book and that I was going to be talking to you. And I have about 1,200 followers or so, but I got several comments being like, "Holy crap! I didn't know that book existed," or oh, "I can't wow. wait to read. I can't wait to read this," or "This is so awesome." So hopefully, you'll get a few more copies uh, thrown out through that. Fantastic! You're spreading the word for me. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, also, um, like I said, I was posting a lot of highlights. I've been posting highlights of different players I've talked to, or just other uh, Lakers from the past for a couple years now on there. And by coincidence, I was getting a large amount of them from the Fletcher Thomas YouTube channel. Oh, no, correct. <laughs> which is, which for the listeners is, is Andrew's YouTube channel. Yeah, I, I didn't realize <laughs> the connection until recently. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah, we've been linked and we didn't even know it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, he's got a great playlist for anybody listening out there of old Laker games. Uh, playlist broken out by season uh, from, I think, Probably from the 80s, lots of seasons in the 90s and the early 2000s up through about 2011, I believe. That would be about right. Yeah, it was about a year ago. I thought I would. I just had all of this Laker highlights and games and uh, kind of all over the place. So I thought after I'd finished this book, it was a good chance to put it all together and put it up on YouTube to finally share it. So it's not just sitting there for me to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, I know like a. Uh, Tier Brown, I posted I posted a lot of his, and I got a bunch of his stuff from your YouTube channel. He always comments and says thanks, and then posts them back on his channel, uh, the same clips, and uh, did that with Chucky Atkins. Uh, gosh, uh, Jermaine Jones. I did an episode with Jermaine wow. Jones. Posted, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so to get started, uh, when did you first start thinking about writing a Laker book, and what made you pick this window from about the fall of 91 to the summer of 96? Okay. Um, I've probably been, I've been wanting to write a book for 20 something years. I've got a degree in history and kind of research and writing's always been part of my work. Um, but I'm rarely afforded the opportunity at work to write about anything that I especially want to. Um, so, uh, it was when I decided that I was going to write a book, it was pretty clear it was going to be about the Lakers. It's one of the few strong passions in my life. And why I picked that particular era is kind of probably for two reasons, really. Like one of them, I'll be honest, and it's, it's purely nostalgia. Um, right. I'm probably more nostalgic for this era than um, many people or, or the, that the era seems to demand mainly because was, I was a teenager through these years and I was one of those lucky people who enjoyed high school and like they were good years. 
in my mm-hmm. life. So uh, it, it was partly just I've always felt a connection to those teams, even though they didn't achieve as much as uh, other Laker teams. Mm-hmm. And the other the other bigger reason is that um, it kind of it, it, I feel like we're a little bit selective as what we remember about basketball. And I think every NBA team is like this. I think the league is like it, but I think Lakers can be like it in particular. Um, that they remember the best players and the best teams, but kind of forget everything else. And in the process, you, I kind of feel like we forget more than we remember. And this isn't a Laker era that kind of jumps out at you in terms of big achievements, but it was, I kind of think the whole story of the Lakers is, is interesting and important, whether they win championships or not. And um, the Lakers have a... Uh, championship or bus kind of mentality you know the, the nothing but yes. the best is good enough which is a great corporate motto but it's not my motto as a fan otherwise i'd be just depressed every almost every season because as successful as the lakers are they don't win it more often than they do um no, so yeah correct just, yeah so i just thought this was an opportunity to um kind of fill in that gap about a, a lakers era and a lakers team that um we've kind of forgotten about, or a lot of people have forgotten about, but they were still the Lakers. They were still important to us at the time. So it was just bridging that gap. That is so cool. I just to hear your reasons to go into that. And um, I feel a lot of the same way about probably particularly different eras of basketball, but the way Uh you just summed it, the way uh, you just summed it up right there reminded me of the last sentence of the prologue where um, I have it right in front of me where you said, these moments happen, these players and coaches were there. Fans filled into the Great Western Forum to cheer them on, just like they did Magic West and Wilt. These games were played. The team was still the Lakers. They always matter to us. We should honor that. And when I first read that uh, about two weeks ago when I got the book, I was I was like, holy shit, I'm hooked. Like that sentence, that last paragraph of the prologue, I was like, you know, read 200 pages tonight. Like I was just so into it. <laughs> Well, I yeah. see that you and I might be on the same page with that, given the approach of your podcast, right? It, it is a little bit about the forgotten eras and players. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know you said over email you had ch- uh, listened to some episodes before. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it because I would list there's there's other NBA podcasts that are geared towards role players or relatively unknown unknown players, and I would uh-huh. subscribe to them and um. I remember there's one called The Handle, and I was going through his play, uh, the episode list, and I said, oh, Tracy Murray, I can't wait to hear him talk about his Lakers stint. And I listened yeah. to it. They they completely jumped over his one year in L.A. And I was like, oh, I just listened <laughs> to like 45 minutes, and they never even said the word Lakers. And then so that yeah. kind of got me. I was like, man, that'd be cool if there was just one strictly for Lakers. And then um, I just got lazy about it, and it was always in the back of my mind. But then I had uh, my day job tasked me with starting a podcast network. And so I figured out okay. the logistics and then um, shot Tracy Murray and a couple other guys some emails and they said yes. And some of them gave me more teammates, yeah. names and contacts. And uh, yeah, it's been going on for two years now. Wow. And it must be fun talking to all of these former players, right? You probably oh. never thought you'd be speaking to them. I can I can only imagine. No, definitely. Um, and you, like this, kind of the same reason, the ones that are the most fun are the ones that I watched. Like, even though I'm in, uh, born and raised in Dallas, uh, watch as many Laker games as I could either. Okay. Um, so the ones that I actually watched, like, night after night are the ones that I most talked to. But then I do have, I've talked to a few older guys um, who I didn't watch, but just to 
like through research of my own, you know, reading about Laker history, watching old games on DVD or ESPN Classic, uh-huh. what have you. I've watched them a little bit. So like, um, it covered in one of the seasons you did, '96. Uh, I did my first, very first episode was actually Fred Roberts. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 So he was my first episode. And then I done uh, George Lynch, uh, Jeff Lamp from the late '80s. Um, yeah, but I the ones I really seek out the most are from maybe like you know '96 onwards. Okay. Yeah, that's your favorite era, essentially. Yeah, just because growing up, yeah. uh, Shaq was my favorite player. So, um, okay, by far and away, Sha- Shaquille and my my dog is named Shaq, so I'm just a Shaq guy. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. How did you How did you end up being a Lakers fan uh, if you're from Dallas? Oh, just uh, when I really started following basketball, I was nine. It was Shaq's last year in Orlando. Okay. Um, I didn't have cable. So the only basketball I saw was either Dallas Maverick games, which I didn't really watch that much, but then NBA on NBC every Sunday. Um, sure. And like nine times out of a 10, there was an Orlando magic game back then. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so it's like, Oh man, like Shaq's just dunking on everybody. Uh, just <laughs> nobody can even come close to stopping him. He had like six dunks tonight. That was so cool. And so he was like my <laughs> exposure to basketball more or less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you followed him to LA essentially. Yes. Yeah, I did. I remember yeah. um, my older brother waking me up. I was asleep and uh, I guess Shaq was on the Tonight Show or something announcing that he was going to L.A. And he woke uh-huh. me up. He was like, Shaq's going to L.A. And I remember thinking like, oh, and I was nine. I remember thinking like, oh, I guess I'm a Lakers fan now. And I just never left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you have been ever since. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Um, you know, obviously Shaq's several years, eight years there and then continuing on with Kobe through his end and then uh, the rough patch, or I guess, as you like to call it, a black hole. I guess you could yeah. even say Kobe's last several years probably were the start of the black hole. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, from uh, 13, 2013 on till Very much so, yeah. Yeah, essentially essentially till last year. And even then, it was just a, maybe just a smaller black hole because of how disastrous last year was. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I have hope in me for the first time in a long time that we're maybe coming out of one. But we'll, uh-huh. I'm not going to hold my breath, but we'll see after this. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, it was a rough season opener, obviously, versus the Clippers. But uh yeah. I mean, it was, um, and then I watched last night, so that was that was a good, you know, at least to get a get one in the win columns. Good, good feeling. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm still trying to fight the negativity because even after last night's game, I think um, to myself, how is that because the Lakers played especially well, or because Utah just seemed especially dreadful? But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. we're only two games in. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, okay, that was last night was a 9.30 tip-off for me in Dallas, 9.30 p.m. What time did that yep. game come on for you? That was 1 p.m. So you have Laker games in the afternoon, like, all the time. Yeah, all the time. So they're always on during the day, and oh, yeah. um, which is so I, I try to stay away from the score and watch them when I get home if I know I'm going to be able to. Or Oh, I guess, yeah, because you'd be at work. I can watch them live. Yeah, and um, yeah. and I'm also uh, off work every Wednesday with my two-year-old daughter, and so I watched uh, opening night with her, but probably spent half of that time arguing because she wanted to watch Peppa Pig. Um, okay. How much yeah. that I actually really saw? I I can't say that I actually studied the game closely, but yeah. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I've got some little ones at home, so I am well aware of Peppa Pig. You know how it goes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, so that's cool. Laker games during the day. Yeah, because, um, so, yeah, like I said, 9.30. So they're not going to end until well after about midnight my time. So a lot of times I'll turn cool. on the game if they're if they're starting at 9.30. And all of a sudden I'm waking up and it's like middle of the third quarter and I don't know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did wonder that with the latest starts on the West Coast, how how late some people must have to stay up to watch them. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah. so 7.30 in L.A. is 9.30 my time. And for a while, I lived on the East Coast, so they were starting at 10.30. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was never um, ideal, but uh, I, was, I was living there eight years ago, so I was a little younger. It was a little easier. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. You couldn't do it now, though, probably not. Oh, 10.30, no way. Like, I would just <laughs> be, um, be waking up in the middle of the night and seeing who won and watching highlights the yeah, next day would yeah. be my extent yeah. of my fandom. <laughs> yeah. So when we, while we were exchanging emails also, sure. you mentioned how, uh, I guess, the research process through this book, going through everything that you did for Between Dynasties, made you feel differently um, about maybe particular players, particular seasons than you did yeah. as a teenager when this was happening. Can you go into that? Exactly. Sure, yeah. That was um, the the most interesting part for me because I didn't really, um, like, I didn't dig up anything that I didn't really know already because I had lived through this era and uh, there was lots of things that I had forgotten about that I reminded myself about. But what I found is I... Um, viewed some players and eras differently just simply because I'm looking at them as a 40-year-old man as opposed to a teenager who I must say and I'll admit to it was a complete homer at the time and now I feel oh, like yeah. I'm a little <laughs> bit more a little bit more objective with things um mm -hmm. and the, the three the three players or things that I looked at differently I found I looked at Nick Van Exel very differently than I remembered Doug Christie and I looked at Magic Johnson's comeback in 96 differently to how I remember. So did you want me to talk about any of those in particular or just? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Nick Van Exel okay. would be great. Uh, Doug Christie, sure, yeah. the Magic Company. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, re I have reached out to both Nick Van Exel and Doug Christie to no avail. Not that Nick would be okay. a forgotten Laker by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. Uh, yeah. He but, was um, certainly a, a memorable four or five years with the Lakers, that's for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I always had a uh, complicated, is probably the word, relationship with him as a fan at the time. Um, I absolutely loved his game. Uh, I thought he was really exciting to watch. And um, his, his pull-up threes and transition were so much fun to watch. This was before that was like a normal thing that happened in the game. And his passing ability and the fact the Lakers got him so late in the draft, he was just the steal of that draft. Mm -hmm. He was, he had a brashness and cockiness that I loved, and he played with a chip on his shoulder, and seemed like he was, you know, hyper competitive. This was in an era when the players on the roster weren't really known for that so much. So that was like it was a breath of fresh air, really, and it all culminated in the Seattle series in '95, which he completely dominated. And mm -hmm. um, you know, we talk, we hear about Mamba mentality now. He, he kind of had it in spades. But there was like mm -hmm. a flip side to all of that and a, this behavior that I just, I, I purely just didn't really understand when I was a teenager at the time. Um, yeah. From little things like he complained about having to take part in the rookie game, which I just thought 
is crazy. That would be so much fun and an honor, I would have thought. And then yes, yeah, that was my. Theory. I was just going to yeah, say that, know? yeah. And then the um, and then the the you know it, was, it seemed to be always in conflict with the coaches and um, in the '95 season in Portland, he refused to come into the game in the second half. So essentially, mm-hmm. set out in in protest. And then it, I think everybody remembers the incident in Denver in '96 when he shoved the referee and got that really long um suspension and um i just couldn't kind of marry up the behavior to his potential really and i and i knew he had a tough upbringing which i talk about in the book um he was involved in you know petty crime when he was really young his dad was in prison his mum worked two jobs to make ends meet so he spent a lot of time by himself raising himself and um mm-hmm. but with with my teenage brain at the time i kind of looked at it and thought well so what? You know, the bad times are over now. You're the starting point guard on the Lakers. You're making millions of dollars. Like, what? it's all over now. What could possibly be the problem? And I know now as an adult, um, that's not really the way people work. And it's not the way the world works. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just shake off your childhood experiences um, because you now feel like, oh, life is better now. And what's inside you is kind of inside you. And um, you can change your external world, you know, with a nice house and nice, a good job and a nice car and all of those kind of things, but it doesn't change what's in you. Um, right. And to me, I, and I guess I kind of found a peace almost with it because I realized that the things that I loved about Van Exel and the things that confused me or frustrated me about him kind of came from the same place, really. I think that brashness and cockiness that he played with that I loved completely came from the same place that a lot of that kind of behavior that I didn't understand came from and that you couldn't really have one without the other. So I kind of, by the end of writing about Nick Van Exel, I felt like I understood where that was kind of coming from and it was the way it was always going to be, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, So I really caught the tail end of like with the beginning of my Laker fandom was his last two years in L.A., and okay. um, yeah, my exposure is like basically limited to the NBA and NBC games. But um, that last year and, uh, you know, you hear all the stories about him basically bailing on the team when the playoffs, when they were in that U- Western yeah. Conference Finals versus Utah, they're all saying like, yeah. one, two, three, go Lakers. And he yelled Cancun because he's looking forward <laughs> to his vacation. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, as and I got like older, he was eventually. Story. Yeah. Yeah. That was his last year. He got traded. Um yeah. Um, and then as I uh, got older and then in high school, he was a Dallas Maverick for about a year and a half. Of course, um, yeah. Yeah, and he was he was a fan favorite here. I mean, he obviously was by no means supposed to be a star, even though he had several star performances in his uh, second playoff here. But, um, yeah. I mean, they had Dirk. They still had uh, Michael Finley and Steve Nash, who were uh-huh. you know, the Mavericks' three-headed monster at the time. So he was a sixth man who – uh, still had that cockiness, and he was just draining threes left and right the majority of his yeah. time here. So um, that was the majority of my Nick Van Axel exposure has been uh, from his Maverick days, and then more so yeah. as I got it through uh, my study of Laker history. <laughs> I was disappointed when the Mavs traded him, actually, because it, it was actually fun. I felt like when he, I remember that playoff series or that mm-hmm. run that he had really well and it was like having him back again almost because he had kind of disappeared he was i think it was on 
Denver, which was perpetually out of the playoffs from memory. Yes, yeah, um, they were totally, yeah. And then, and then he was just kind of gone again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the other part you mentioned was feeling differently about Magic's comeback. And before you get into that, um, yeah. Fred Roberts and I delved into this in our episode. Yeah. Where he said um, it was a dis- he felt it had been a distraction to some of the younger guys. Yeah. Um, that Ma- Magic wasn't able to accept that he wasn't the same player that he used to be. And uh-huh. then um, kind of the – he was f- more or less flirting the whole idea with coming back by always showing up at practice, playing pickup with the guys after their practice. And that he said the guys for several months, they didn't know, is he going to come back? Is he not? Like he's here every day. Like what's going on? Uh-huh. This isn't the same – this isn't the same fun team that they had in 95. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to touch on that. Fred Roberts totally went in on that in my episode with him. Yeah, and that is uh, that that certainly came out while I was researching it as well. This the idea that as you know the, the Lakers were really exciting again in '95 after a few down years, and then '96 mm-hmm. um, they were expected to kind of take a leap, and they hadn't really done that in the first part of the season, and the the, the chemistry, what was holding it together, was was always seemed quite tenuous and and magic's comeback certainly it, it came out in the research that he certainly disrupted that chemistry that was, it was just starting to really come together again in the month leading up to his comeback and then his comeback just changed everything and it was a very young team and they never really got back on the same page but i i, I looked at it a little bit differently than most of what i hear about his comeback is is negative um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I see very little positive ever written about it when it's ever brought up. It's usually brought up, uh, as a, you know, a cautionary tale for people, a little bit like Jordan going to the wizards, you know, nobody wants to see that your, your favorite great player, no longer able to play at the same high level. And yeah. There was good, re- there was good reason for that. There were the chemistry problems as, as we talked about. And, you know, he had, I think it was a career low in almost every statistical category and, Lakers got knocked out of the first round, and when mm-hmm. when his when his comeback, you know, there was all this crazy talk about the Lakers going to the finals to to play Chicago, and yeah. they didn't even come close. Um, <laughs> and he was suspended suspended for bumping the referee, and it, it was just uh, it wasn't pretty at all. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I kind of there were two parts that I had I wanted to pull out of the book that doesn't get talked about too much, and that was that for better or worse, the first two weeks of his comeback were, were so much fun because he came back and played at a really surprisingly high level during those first two weeks. And in my mind, it was as a fan anyway, it was, it's almost worth the pain just because those two weeks were so special and, and so much fun. But mm-hmm. then he injured his, he injured his calf, which doesn't get talked about very much. And, and he was really perpetually injured for the rest of his comeback after that. And, and it's probably not surprising he injured himself because he, you know, he wasn't in shape. He was, what, 35 years old, I think. And, right. Um, didn't have the off-season to prepare himself. And um, so he was kind of battling through that the whole time. But then I looked at it from his perspective because even though it's, you know, it's the era after he retired the first time that the book covers, he kind of features really heavily because there was always rumors of him coming back. I um, mean, he tried to come back in... 92 93 and then yeah the 
fear of players playing against him kind of kept him out of the league. And it was, it was a really strange, and I can only imagine uh, an emotionally difficult place to be in for him because he still wanted to play and still knew that he could play for a lot of those mm-hmm. years and, and was just forced onto the sideline. So I kind of saw it as uh, his comeback as, yeah, it wasn't pretty, but um, it was a chance to kind of take back a little bit of what was taken from him, even if it was mm-hmm. just a, a, you know, a small sample. It was like half a season. And there is something to say for the fact that he did finally get to retire because he, uh, on his own terms, as opposed yes. to kind of always been decided for him by doctors or by fear of other players, he actually got to own it. But one thing I had totally forgotten about is that he retired after the 96 season shortly after i think it was a day or two after they were knocked out of the playoffs and mm-hmm. then he said that was it he was done no more talk of comebacks and then a month later the lakers signed shaquille o'neal and then he suddenly pipes up in the media again talking about how he's going to come back for the 96 97 season and then two weeks later says no he, he just got overexcited about the lakers being contenders again and so he you know contradicted himself yeah. almost yeah. immediately but, yeah, um, yeah, I, which I, is par for the course with him even today. Yeah, exactly. And we saw that in the spectacular way in which he quit as VP yeah. of basketball. <laughs> you know, like nothing changes. You know. Yeah, that's funny. Um, was there anything? Did you talk to any former players uh, during the process of the research? I, I read the acknowledgments page just to see if you mentioned anyone specifically, but I didn't see any players' names in there. I didn't know. Um, I thought about um, I thought about trying to get in contact with people, but it was a limitation of two things essentially. That it's difficult. Well, I didn't really know the avenues to try and contact people. Um, yeah, I'm kind of very much on the outside here, you know, on the other side of the world from it. True. And yeah. Then, so, I, so I just decided to. So I was, yeah, in two minds about you know, should I try or not? And then eventually I just kind of own the fact that I didn't and just wrote the book really from a fan's perspective is, is yeah. the way that I approached it. So I, I, I hope that works. And I figured that there was a lot of the kind of behind the scenes information through particularly Sports Illustrated articles and, and a few mm-hmm. other books that have kind of covered that era as well um, and not in as much detail as this one does. So I was, hopefully there's a, enough of a balance there. No, definitely. And uh, what you said from the fan perspective, I think that's one of the many reasons why it is a great and easy read. Uh, it's just a real page turner for any uh, Laker basketball fan, particularly one who is uh, nostalgic for that 90s era of NBA basketball. I'm glad you said that's the word, um, the, the easy read. That's what I was hoping for, to kind of find the balance between it being really a big deep dive into the era, but also being fairly quick and easy and light to, to read. So that that's that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, gosh, I feel like we're on the same wavelength about so many Laker things. It's so cool. Because um, <laughs> I'm obviously growing up in Dallas. I have a few like casual Laker fans that mm-hmm. I have friends who maybe they like Shaq or Kobe or whoever, but I never had like um, anyone to really dig deep with unless it was like on old school Laker chat rooms, like in the early two thousands or something like, um, wow. something like yeah, that. So I've had very much the same experience because the, the NBA is 
pretty big here in Australia, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the, lo- the local sports are, are much more popular. It doesn't really feature mm-hmm. that much in the mainstream media here. Um, yeah. And when I was when I was kind of growing up, the NBA got really big um, mm-hmm. around the early '90s, and that's when I kind of came on board with it, really. And uh, most of my friends were fans of Chicago, naturally, because yeah. they were the best team at the time, and 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 Jordan on the roster, and all of that. And then once it was really the lockout in '99, just kind of all of that just kind of ended for everybody apart from me, really, because so, I think yeah. the Bulls oh, yeah. kind of stuck from that point on, and just like nobody I knew paid any attention to it anymore. So I was just on an island, really, by myself. So this is actually fun to talk to talk to a, somebody about the Lakers because it, it doesn't. I don't usually get an opportunity to do it either. Oh yeah, it's so cool. Um, I've met a few other um hardcore fans either through uh you know podcast listen or people who've listened to the uh-huh. podcast or reach out to me one way or the other uh there's one you may have seen him either on lakers broadcast or youtube things uh, he goes by the the nickname of lakers sparrow uh um, oh, sure, he's yeah. yeah he's got the most amazing laker collection i've ever seen um and we've become friends and i've met up with him he came to a laker game in dallas i met up with him uh i went to a game in la last season with my wife and he was there and we met up and hung out and uh both oh, got great. ac greens we both got ac greens autograph that night so it was a fun <laughs> night <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's cool for sure to um you know more or less network with other laker fans around the world definitely yeah all right, so listeners, Andrew and I have prepared a trivia game for each other just to kind of quiz one another on our Laker fandom. Um, right hand to God, I will not be Googling his questions. I'm hoping he will be doing the same. <laughs> I'd say I promise. I promise right now, yeah. Okay, so I have 10 questions. How many did you come up with? I came up with 10. Oh, and- great, okay. So that's that's perfect. I can't say I'm very happy with them. I, I worry that they're going to be too easy, and uh, and you have already answered one of them in our conversation. So okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so I I will mention that one, but we'll we'll move past it quickly. But yeah, and I must okay. say also since having since having kids, I feel like my memory has just turned into a complete sieve. So I'm curious uh, to see how I go with this, really. Oh okay, yeah, and I know um my like trivia expertness if you want to call it that is really probably in the kobe era more or less so Uh um there's some 90s 80s things i there's a good chance i know but um i want to bet my life on it (laughs) so i guess we can uh i was just gonna say that this should work for you because i did the uh my questions come from the kobe shack era so 96 97 through to Oh three, oh four. So that covers probably your sweet spot there in fandom. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we can. Uh, I'll ask one. You ask one. I'll ask one. You ask sure. one, and go from there. Sounds good. Okay, so I'll start, start with my. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. All right. First question: Who did the Lakers receive from Denver in exchange for Nick Van Exel in 1998? Uh, <laughs> uh, that I have that exact same question. Oh, do you really? <laughs> uh, it's crazy, yeah. Uh, they received uh, Tony Batty, I think is how you say his name, or was it Batty? It's Batty, yeah. Batty, yeah, who never actually played for the Lakers. And, right. And Tyrone Lue, right? 
Yes, that's correct. Uh, one follow-up question I guess I could ask you then. Do you write Tony Petit never played for the Lakers? Do you know who he was traded for at, immediately after they acquired him? From memory, it was Travis Knight. Is that, that, is is that right? Cor- yes, that is correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, traded uh, Tony Petit to Boston for Travis and for Travis's second stint with the Lakers. I actually just did an episode with Travis about a month or so ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, that our <laughs> I don't want to offend Travis, but I, I remember that trade upset me quite a bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't go into any more detail about that. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, all right, I guess go ahead and ask your question. Okay, my first question is, who did the Lakers play in the 1998 playoffs? Uh, the first round, they played the Portland Trailblazers. The second round, Seattle and then they got swept by Utah in the conference finals. That's it, 100%. Cool. All right, and question number two for you. The Lakers swept mm-hmm. Denver in the first round of the 2008 playoffs. In the next round, it took them six games to eliminate what team? In, oh, in oh, eight. Two, 2008, uh, yeah. That was Utah, right? That is correct, yes, Utah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember right, a crazy game to finish the series where the Lakers were up by huge amounts and Utah yeah. outscored them and they almost blew the game, I remember. But anyway, sorry. Um, right, my next question is Robert Ory hit two game-winning three-pointers in the 2002 playoffs. The most famous one was game four against Sacramento. Can you mm-hmm. remember what the other one was? Game three of the first round versus Portland. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next question for you. Where did Andrew Gavlak attend college? Oh, no. Um, oh, no. Uh, to Arizona? No, Carl, College of Charleston. Oh, okay. Well, way off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you stopped me. First one to get stumped. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, go ahead. All right, this is uh, this will be impressive if you remember this. This is one I felt like might stump you. I don't know. Shaq's first two seasons in LA were limited by injury. He missed 31 games in '97 and 22 games in '98. Can you remember what the big injuries were each year that saw him miss so much time? Uh, the first one was a knee injury, and the second one was an abdominal injury. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're correct. Well done. <laughs> um, all right, my fourth question. The Lakers and Kings faced off in an epic seven-game series in 2002 in the conference finals. Which games did the Lakers lose? Oh, uh, they lost game two? Yep. They lost game three. That's correct. And they lost game five. Yep, you got them all. Yeah, five. Yeah, so you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two, three, and five. I was thinking that might might stump you, but yeah, good work. (laughs) It was game six that got me. I couldn't remember if they were actually down 3 2. That was a brutal series, wasn't it? Yeah, they were down 3 2. And game six was that really controversial, uh, officiated game. Yeah. Yeah. Want to go, I want to go back and study that game just to see, but I still don't know if I'm uh, shed enough of my homerism to admit that maybe there was something very wrong with that game, but we'll see. Uh, I think there was something very wrong with that game. The full, <laughs> yeah, okay. the full game, uh, every 
the full game is on YouTube. The fourth quarter is on YouTube. The every questionable call is on YouTube. Just go watch it, and you'll feel okay. like uh, discounting one of our rings. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason I'm too scared to go back and actually look at it. Um, yeah. It... <laughs> uh, my next question is oh, that's another Shaq question. Uh, Shaq was one vote shy of being the first unanimous MVP in 1999-2000. Uh, do you remember the other player who got a vote, and do you remember the reporter who voted for him? Alan Iverson received the vote. It was voted by Fred Hickman. Wow. Yes, you know your stuff, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, my fifth question. George Lynch played three seasons in L.A., each year wearing a different jersey number. What numbers did he wear? Oh, yeah, I should know this because it's in my book. But um, now you're testing me because this was like a year ago that I published it. Um, okay. It's early war 24. Yep. And he wore 20. Incorrect. Is that correct? Incorrect. 20, okay. Wow. 24, <laughs> 24 is correct. Okay. Uh, I'm scared about embarrassing myself here with the other one. How can I, that's horrible that I've forgotten this. Um, no, I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to ask for the answer. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 24. His rookie year. His second year, he wore number 30, and his last year, he wore 34. 34. How can I forget 34? I was like Shaq's number. Um, yeah, yeah. The the guy to wear it before Shaq. Yeah. Do you have any idea why that happened? That was part of when I was researching this, I wanted, that was one thing I thought I, I wanted to find out why, because Doug Christie changed his number two. Yeah. I didn't find any reason. There was nothing in the press. Like nobody seemed to ask them why they, why they changed their numbers or. I did an episode with George Lynch and I asked him because I can remember as a kid having all kinds of George Lynch Laker cards and like every mm -hmm. one of them had a different number. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And so I've always, yeah, yeah. It was, I, I can remember being like 10 and like wondering like why he had so many different Jersey numbers. But um, I, yeah, I think I don't remember specifically. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode again, but oh, it was well, yeah. something about the first time, maybe it was uh, the number he wanted wasn't available. And then he thought he didn't play well. So he wanted to like change his, you know, change the mojo around him and switch his Jersey sure. number. And then um, I don't remember what the other reason was, but it was something like that. I had to go back. It's in the episode I did with him um, several months ago. I, I will re-listen to that. I'm going to finally get an answer. Yeah. <laughs> Your turn. My turn. Yeah. Well, my next question is, uh, what is the story about Nick Van Exel? That was the final straw before before being traded, which you've already answered. So. Oh, okay. Um, maybe we'll skip over that one. Um, yeah. Okay. During Phil Jackson's first run in LA, he had five assistant coaches during that time. They were all there from the start of the era to the end, apart from one who retired and um, was replaced by somebody else. Can you name the five? From his first year? Yeah, uh, yeah. So from the from the first era, so from 2000 to 2004. Uh, Tex Winter, Jim Clemens, Frank Hamblin. Yeah. Um, okay, Jim Clemens, Tex Winter, Frank Hamblin. Correct. Um, Bill Bertka. Correct. Jimmy Rogers. No. 
Jimmy Rogers, he was definitely with him in Chicago. So, okay, I got Bill Burka, Jim Clemens, Frank Hamlin, Tex Winter, and... Burka was uh, the one who retired, and he was okay. replaced by... Who? Oh, okay, Burka was replaced by Karambas? Correct, yeah. Oh, okay. I really thought I had you on that one. Yeah, I wasn't so sure. Uh, yeah, because I knew Burka stayed on like as a consultant or whatever, but I didn't know like, did, his full yeah. role, yeah. And... I mean, that's probably not a great question. I based, I based a lot of this on basketballreference.com. So, there, I mean, there are other coaches mm-hmm. still with the Lakers. At, at, but it's there based on their definition of assistant coach anyhow. Yeah, God, I love that website. <laughs> me too. I kinda, I'm there every day. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, this former UCLA Bruin played in 21 games for the Lakers in the 2001-2002 season but did not appear in any playoff games. In 2001-2002. Yeah, played in 21 uh, regular season games, went to UCLA but did not appear in any playoff games. Oh, UCLA. Did not I'm trying to think who was on that team that that didn't last out the season. Um 2003. I have to admit, that is one season that has just gone out of my mind. Um, uh, okay. Look, give me one second. No. Uh, who else was on that team? Um, so... Uh, what was it? Uh, that was the Lindsey Herman Richmond year. It wasn't... It wasn't... Uh, no, it wasn't Kareem Rush. Cause no, no. He, um no yeah I'd, before oh, cream's time yeah was it um oh was he a veteran or was he a, a rookie can i can i ask for help definitely not a rookie but he had been there like three four years i know he was definitely with seattle for a while before then uh after the lakers he bounced around i think he was on denver um Never really played a lot, no matter where. I, I think, actually, he was in Seattle's rotation for a year or two. But other than that, barely ever played with the Lakers. He's the probably one the definition of a forgotten Laker. I've, I've talked to him about doing an episode, and we he's been responsive, but we just haven't been able to nail down a date. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, this is my last guess. Was it... I guess uh, I don't know if he played for Seattle though, but was it Tracy Murray? No, no, um, Jelani McCoy. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, was uh, a, Tracy was on the team the next season. Oh, right, yeah, okay. As a, I'm telling you, my memory is getting fuzzy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, you are you are absolutely beating me here. Um, mm-hmm. All right, my next question is. Uh, the Lakers acquired Glenn Rice in '98-'99. Um, can you name all of the players involved in the trade? So, the, including the players the Lakers traded and they got back. Oh God. Okay. So they traded Eddie Jones, um, Glenn Rice, J.R. Reed. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if the Lakers sent anywhere. Oh, Eldon Campbell. God, I'm an idiot. Duh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he never played for the Lakers, but they received B.J. Armstrong back. Crazy, um, yeah. Uh, that was it? Oh, that's it? Okay, cool. 
Yeah. I, I, I looked it up this morning, and I, I swore that Chuck Person was part of that trade, but he wasn't. No, he was on the, I guess the year before would have been when he was in L.A. Um, I think it actually ended up being, uh, oh, maybe I'm remembering, that it was the deal the next year or two years later when they got rid of Rice. To New York. Uh, yeah. Maybe. It was a crazy four-team trade with Seattle. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ewing yes, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Horse Grant, all those guys, yeah. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking this next one is way too hard because I'm like, I don't know if anyone else would know this besides me. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll, happy to skip one because I've already lost one. So. Okay. Um, let me see. I want to make sure I don't have. Okay. Yeah. Let's skip it. Um, okay. It is uh the answer is a player who turned me down for a request but he no not anyone else would really remember him <laughs> um all right so my next question uh, i mentioned andrew gadlock earlier who was a rookie in the 2011 2012 season who was the lakers other rookie that season in 2012 yeah 2011 the lockout year 2011 2012 yeah uh wasn't wasn't Derek character the 2012. Um, so it was a year after that, wasn't it? Um, oh, it was uh, the the little guy, the guard, right? Darius. Yeah. Yep. Morris, right? Yeah, Darius yeah. Morris. You got it. Yeah. Yep. I don't yep. have the faintest memories of him, but for some reason, yeah. <laughs> uh, that name came out of nowhere. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go All ahead. Right, right. Next one, let's see. All right. In the 96-97 season, can you remember who the Lakers were playing when Kobe Bryant made his debut in the regular season? So his first official NBA game. And the next. No. Was, oh, wait, I'm, okay, wait, I'm, I'm thinking of when he scored his first point. Exactly, yes, exactly. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Um, but, let me see. Uh, hold on. I should, I'm gonna kill myself if I don't get this. Give me just a second. His That's first finally stumped you. Yeah, his first point was against the Knicks, but his first field goal was actually against Charlotte. That's um, right. And then and he, was he it Dallas? Dallas game? No. Oh man, I am I am not gonna be able to sleep tonight. Just tell me who it is. <laughs> it was it was Minnesota. Ah, is that a preseason game or a regular season game? That was a regular season game. So I think the, the Lakers had opening night against Phoenix and he didn't play. Yeah. Then they played Minnesota and he played six minutes and didn't score. Ah. And then, then it was the first point in New York and then the Charlotte game. Oh. And I've been I'm looking just... for that game on YouTube and nobody seems to have it. I'd love to oh, see the wow. footage of him walking. So there's the footage of him making that free throw for the first time, like his first yeah. time. But I'd love to see the footage of him walking onto a court for the first time, but I've never been able to find it. Oh, I am just... I am just so upset. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've got every other one right. So. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm just a Kobe guy, so that's just no. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so I actually have a Kobe question, one for you next. Okay. Um, 
The night Kobe scored 62 versus Dallas in December of 2005, one of his teammates tore his Achilles and never appeared in another NBA game. Who was that teammate? Oh, and never appeared in another game. Never, never. I think he played overseas again, but never appeared in another NBA game. Wow. Um, okay, so that was the 0506 team, right? Yep. That's weird. I have no memory of that at all. Um, you think you, I would remember a torn Achilles? Yeah. Um, let me just think. All right, shot in the dark. Was it? No, it wasn't Aaron McKee. That was before that time, wasn't it? Well, no, that was a. Uh, it was Aaron McKee's first year in LA. Was oh five oh six. Um, but it, oh, the answer okay. is not Aaron. Mc, the answer is not Aaron okay. McKee. Okay. Uh, let me just think. Who else was on that team? Um, I remember Devin George was. Oh, no, that was the season before that he was always injured, but it wasn't that. Yeah. Um, and never played again. Oh. I think all right, no, okay. If I don't get this one right, I I will admit defeat. Um, I remember Jimmy Jackson was on that team, right? He came later in the year, but he was not on the team uh, at that time. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to think I don't think he ever played again, but uh, wow, that's crazy! Like, how could I forget a torn Achilles? Who was it? Laron Prophet. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Wow. He hadn't been around the league all that long either. No, he had been. Uh, he had a couple of stints with Washington. So that with a sure. he was over overseas in between those, I believe, and then okay. um, caught on with the Lakers for oh five oh six, and that was his last NBA wow. game when he tore his Achilles that night. Wow, how horrible! I don't even remember that. That's yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, okay. I, your turn. Yeah. Last yeah. question. I think I've got here. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I have one uh, more too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, can you name the backup point guard on each of the three peat teams from the 2000, 2002? And again, I'll say, because um, it's hard to answer because it's like depending on what part of the season. So I took it from the playoffs from those uh -huh. seasons, 2001 and two, and using basketball reference as the website to try and you know determine the positions because i know it's you know different players play point guard or whatever but generally speaking yeah he was the backup point guard on each of those teams it changed every year yeah uh the first one was Derek fisher because harper was starting Correct. um and then the second one was teron Liu for the playoffs yeah yeah uh and then third uh lindsey hunter yeah spot on 100 percent. yeah um, and then your last question. Um, so Derek Fisher's jumper with 0.4 seconds left in game five in the 2004 Western Conference semifinals put the Lakers up in the series 3-2 against the Spurs. Uh, who inbounded the pass to Fisher? Oh, I can, I can see it. Um, was it Payton? Yeah, it was Gary Payton. You got wow. it. Oh, okay. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. So you beat me pretty handily there. Um. Yeah, I think you missed one. <laughs> I probably missed as many as I got. Two. You got. You missed three. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Don't so worry. um, you got, and we skipped one, and then uh, so you got six of the nine. You know what? For fun, I'll ask you the other one. Um. <laughs> so the Lakers 
opened up the 2002-2003 season with a starting lineup that consisted of Kobe, Fisher, Ori, Devin George, and who? Uh, that's got to be a trick question because it's obviously not Shaq. Yeah, it's not Shaq. He was out the uh, first <laughs> several games. Yeah, so who would have started in 03 for him? Um, Somebody who was, was it, barely what? on the team that year, like got waived early, but he started opening oh, okay. night. <laughs> so it wasn't, uh, so it wasn't, I was going to say Medvedenko, but it wasn't him. Nope, was not Medvedenko. Um, oh, I can't remember his name, but was he, am I remembering right that he ended up being suspended for breaking the non-doping rules? I believe that's correct. Now, I hadn't thought about that. Yes, you are correct. Um, and, then, and then the Lakers waived him shortly after he was suspended, I think, right? Yes. Oh, but I cannot remember his name. So I still yeah, wouldn't have you, got it. Yeah, you were spot. I mean, that's – I forgot that part. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he uh, you know had a brief stint with New Jersey, played with the Lakers, and he played all over the world. Um, but Somalia Samaki. Yeah, that's right, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't have got it still. Yeah. According yeah. to Wikipedia, he is still playing. And um, he, oh, wow. I connected with him on Facebook and um, regarding an episode back when I started the podcast. And he kind of politely, politely turned me down, but he just, he had a strange okay. response, but it was, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder, I wonder why that would be. I don't know. There's, there's been a few guys who have turned me down. Um, if okay. you know a lot, a lot don't respond at all, and others just are like, oh, I'm not too interested. Like I've moved on. Blah blah blah. Um, That's fair. Yeah, yeah. It was funny when when I first asked Travis Knight a long time ago, he sent me like a lengthy email that was very nice, like very appreciative of the opportunity, but just saying he wasn't too interested in talking about his career. He's doing like X, Y, and Z now, but it was just okay. like so nice and well written and like thoughtful. Mm. I waited like a year. I was like, I'm gonna try again because that was just such like a nice response. And this time he was like, sure, why not? So, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> completely different. So that just jumps out at the second opportunity. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool. Um, cool. Well, Andrew, that was fun. Uh, I'll get this episode was, posted yeah. soon. Um, I'll knock out the rest of Between Dynasties. And you know, it's another thing I think about it every time I see the cover is the similarities between the cover of your book yeah. and my podcast yeah. logo. I thought the exact same thing, yes. Yeah, which is just like the strangest coincidence uh, that anything could have happened. It's just they look like change the names around of the players' jerseys and they're yeah. the same logo. Yeah. I'll tell you my I'll tell you my logic behind it just quickly and see if it was the same as yours. The mm-hmm. the idea for a cover, I just thought of having I thought about the retired jerseys up on the wall at at the yeah. forum and at Staples and you know, that's where we put our best players and the players we want to remember along with the championship banners. So then I thought create a kind of surreal kind of uh, existence where players like uh, Sadeo Threed and Nick Van Exel, who are unlikely to ever be up there, um, mm-hmm. have their jerseys up there along with the rest kind of filling in the, you know, the, the that gap in history. That was kind of my logic. Yeah, definitely. Um, similarly, or mine was just, uh, you know, going off the theme of the podcast and kind of, playing off the fact that like retired jerseys get shown with shown with their name showing and these guys yeah. are you know quote unquote forgotten but they, it, yeah. they could 
it'd be funny if they were considered retired jerseys, just that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I did, uh, and I, I completely see how you're hitting like all the seasons in between and key players. Like I said, when I posted this on Instagram, I got a few comments of people saying, "Where's Eddie Jones?" Oh, sure, yeah, I had to. <laughs> it was that was a hard decision to make, really. Yeah. Uh, and it was Eddie Jones was the one player I wasn't sure, but I wanted two players from the first half of the year and two players from the second half. And I just went with Sabalas uh, over Jones for no real reason, but it, it's a valid question, really. Yeah, I was just I, thinking, like, if we were going to change Eddie anywhere, it'd probably be for Cedric. Yeah, for sure. And I actually wonder, what do you think about this? The Do you think there's a chance that Vlade will have his jersey retired by the Lakers? Because the rule of thumb seems to be if you're in the Hall of Fame, you have your jersey put up. And there's been players like Gail Goodridge and uh, Jamal Wilkes, I think, who didn't immediately have it put up. But when they went into the hall years and years later, the Lakers put their jersey up. And Vlade's mm-hmm. just gone into the hall of fame. Yeah. Do you think that, he, that, that they will put his jersey up there? Gosh, I would think if they were going to, it would. And like you just said, like Jamal and other guys have waited several, you know, in his case, couple decades um but uh i honestly i'd be i guess i'd be surprised but i wouldn't be shocked me too me too yeah um if i had to bet on it i would say pow's going up next um yeah i agree yeah and if it was any other team uh derek fisher would get his jersey retired (laughs) yeah absolutely yes yeah um yeah, but yeah, Powell will be next, and then uh, you know it's interesting. Like I was thinking, I was thinking about this just earlier this week, thinking about retired jerseys. And let's say LeBron plays two more years, they don't win a title here. Mm-hmm. Would he? Mm-hmm. I don't think he would get his retired here. Because it if if, I, if they don't win, yeah, if they don't, like let's say he yeah. plays this year, next year, leaves for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I I wouldn't think he would. I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't think. I think yeah. if he wins the title, he will be up there. Um, yeah. Because it would be the comparable person in Lakers history to that, if they win a title, would be Wilt Chamberlain, probably. Who yeah. Came when he was still very very effective, but was at the later end of his career, and maybe mm-hmm. wouldn't have been up there if not for the '72 title. Um, or maybe it would have been. But yeah, I, I agree. If there's no title, I don't think LeBron goes up there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, well, we'll have to check in again in the future, talk this upcoming season. Or, yeah, Absolutely. talk this season that just started and um, get another round of questions going. That sounds fun. And I, and I will say that I'm just about to publish um, another book. I'm hopefully only a, a few weeks away from doing it, focusing on the... Minneapolis Lakers. So maybe when that's out in the world, we can catch up and talk about that era from yeah. long ago. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll, I'll like right. uh, I'll keep in touch and you let me know when that's out and um, yeah, I'll pick it up for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. This has been fun. Thanks, Andrew. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye.